like so they were looking at bethany's and interested in that and then this starts happening they jump on long story short fbi ends up getting involved in casey mcdaniels you know and they made the first arrest in 24 years with that case yeah. and charged him with two counts of murder two counts of rape i mean it was you know it was uh, in in a nobody case, I mean, she still has not been found. So, I mean, you know, that I don't know what they have or whatever, but but the podcast was is what started all the the talk. Just like with Up and Vanished in Georgia, you know, um, it brought attention to those two cases that you know were multiple years old, and. Uh, but at that point, I was so burnt out, I, I couldn't do it anymore. All right, welcome to The Path Distilled. I'm your host, Kevin Harris. My co-host is Lauren Tashman. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Path Distilled. And we're so excited today. We have Brandon Barnett. He's a musician and a podcaster. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Uh, thanks for having me. And so your podcast, you've done several. I'll have, leave that up to you to tell us about it. But uh, could you tell us a little bit about your work and uh, what you do? Yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a musician, a songwriter. So I, I write and record music. And then that kind of parlayed into uh, doing uh, podcasts because I, I was a huge fan of those, you know, and uh, I could produce everything in the podcast myself because of the music, you know, make my own music for it. All right, so could you take us back to how you got started in music and then we'll, that'll lead us into how you got into podcasting? Uh, yeah, um, dad played guitar, you know, there was always a guitar around the house. And uh, my uh, my mom was a Perkins uh, before she married dad. And uh, I live in Jackson, Tennessee, which is the home of Carl Perkins, who is the, uh, I don't know, the father of rockabilly, I guess is one of the titles they give him you know uh so i had you know aunts who were you know they were married into the perkins family my, my grandfather was donald uh donald perkins he was carl's cousin or something anyway so it was always kind of around uh you know just in the air and then of course you had the whole son thing anyway in memphis you had you had elvis so i was born let's see i was three when elvis died and like all my family were you know huge Elvis fans everybody everybody from around here was you know so you kind of had the Carl thing with the family situation and then you had Elvis which who was just the biggest thing right and um so it was just always around you know and so I got hooked on uh Elvis records you know and then uh, and then the Beatles I discovered my mom's Beatles my mom's the one who had all the collection. My dad, my dad always says they were so poor growing up. He didn't have, he just had to listen to the radio. Mom had a bunch <laughs> of 45s and she had the meet the Beatles, the first LP over here, you know, it's called something else in the UK, but, um, so yeah, around eight, I discovered the Beatles and started in, anyway, just the Elvis thing. I, I was doing Elvis impersonations at like four, an uncle took me over to meet Carl and I got an autograph, you know, so that's kind of a unique, um, deal man to be that young and have you know again we weren't that close we weren't close to the Perkinses but close enough to where I got to meet him you know so dad dad was a 
assistant song director at church and played guitar, you know, just self-taught and uh, would sing. And uh, I asked him to show me a, a C chord, I think, uh, at 12. And then he, I was like, well, show me the next one, you know, and he just kind of showed me the chords in that key. And, uh, and I played, you know, guitar just around the house. Were you taking lessons at that time? No, no, I ended up taking, uh, what happened was at 16, um, I don't know how uh, personal, you know, we want to get Kevin because, you know, we, we know each other. But um, if you remember, I had those Chevy two Novas, man, I, I drove the, so I got into antique cars. So when I turned 16, you know, I was worried about girls and driving and fixing those cars up. And um, I put the guitar down, you know, okay. and then, uh, and then Nirvana happened. And um, cause I was sick. I, I couldn't stand the, I got to where I was so sick of the hair bands in the eighties and uh, I just couldn't relate to it. Spandex and Aquanet, dude, I, I couldn't, I couldn't relate to that. So I went back and just uh, dove into the 60s stuff, my father's music, you know, my parents' music. And I just thought that was the best era for music. And then, uh, and then Nirvana happened and all that, that kind of followed that. I wasn't the biggest Nirvana fan, but um, it relit it, man. And I picked the guitar back up. Uh, I don't know, it was around 18 or 19. And then uh, I never laid it down, you know, I'm 46 now. So what did those, what did that early involvement look like? Were you, when you first picked it back up, were you taking lessons, just learning on your own? I started, um, I started buying like the tab, tab books, you know, they had the chords in it and the lemon heads were my, were my band because I thought they were, um, they call it, they call it power pop. It's basically like 60, it's basically like the Beatles, you know, it's just, uh, kind of, kind of low key, uh, really catchy guitar driven rock it wasn't too heavy I, I i wasn't i wasn't into the heavy stuff as much i liked it like I, I was a huge smashing pumpkins fan but their sound to me was so different than a lot of that other aggressive i was i was just i don't know man i was a peaceful dude you know it's just kind of <laughs> acoustic was more my thing yeah. so uh, so it started out just like learning learning some lemonhead songs and uh and then i i had it in my head that i wanted to uh that I should take lessons. So I started taking lessons from Robin Aaron, a guy in, in Jackson, and he, he's great. Um, but I, you know, I, I would never do my lesson. Like I, I thought, I just, I don't know, man, I was so young, even though I was, I was younger for my, for my age, even I, I was just, I was really green, man. And I just thought you had to know everything about everything in order to, to participate. Right. So I was, thought, okay, I need to learn how to read music. I need to learn how to, you know, learning these chords is not enough. And, but it turns out I would never do my homework. And then at the last minute, I would just find a gin blossom song or something that I wanted <laughs> Robin to teach me, you know, and I would end up just learning songs and because I, I really sucked at, at doing the homework. Now I, I learned to read enough and I started taking a classical guitar and I, I learned how to finger pick. And Robin took me as far as he felt he could take me. And then he was going to move me on to uh, an actual classical teacher. I wasn't that into it. So I, I just kind of quit lessons after that. But I developed my right hand for finger picking. And that became my style. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So they would give you things to do before the next meeting or the next uh, session. And you, instead of doing that, you would just pick up something and learn it. Yeah. 
Well, well, that that was the thing. It's like I didn't want to cancel on the lesson because I knew, I knew, you know, that's how he made his bones, man. That's how he made his living. So, I, I wasn't gonna bail on him, and uh, and it was, you know, he wasn't giving me stuff out of the blue. It was like, Robin, I want to learn how to play classical guitar. So he would do his best to go, okay, start here, and it would be like, you know, this really mundane, just ding 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 ding. You know, you're playing like the Ferrajac or whatever. And um, I asked for it, but I didn't want to do it, you know? And so, but what you could do, he was so good. And he had this, uh, back then, everything was still kind of on cassettes, you know? So he could play, or even if he had a CD player, he could play it and he could put it in a tape deck and he could slow it down. But he would figure out the song. So he, didn't, he wouldn't even know what I was going to bring him. So I didn't do my homework. And he'd be like, well, you know, where were we? And I'm like, yeah. I didn't really, Robin, I didn't really do my stuff, man. Uh, would you teach me Hey Jealousy by the Jim Blossoms? And he's like, sure. And then he'd start, and that was the lesson, and I paid him, and I guess we were both happy, you know? So what comes next? Uh, I, I I meet a guy. Um, I taught a couple of my buddies to play. Uh, Ryan Stone and I. I didn't realize how integral he was to, to my story until um, a, a podcast I'm doing now, which I needed him for. But we, uh, that dude didn't play music at all. And uh, this Nirvana being all this alternative music, you know, that was happening, we started hanging out. Uh, he was still in high school. I had just graduated. And uh, I taught him to play guitar and that dude picked it up. And so we started playing together, you know, we both were, insecure and felt like we couldn't be in a band we weren't that good but we would play together and he was really good just naturally and he'd put a capo on up the neck and play in the same key but play different things so we weren't playing just the same strumming patterns and all that and uh and the goal was to write we just in the beginning we just couldn't do it writing was the hardest thing for us for me you know i don't want to speak for him i know it is for him he's told me but so that that's kind of how that happened. We just kind of just banged around and and uh, because I, I wasn't really too good at learning cover songs either. You know, I was I was kind of lazy when it came to that. And I, and I just I would know I, you know I would learn enough to you know and it was kind of fun. Okay, this is fun, but it was just like, well, this is somebody else's stuff, man. It's great, but what? Okay, so I'm the best at playing "Hey Jealousy" by the Gin Blossoms. Like what? You know, I just there's gotta be more to it than that, you know. I ended up going to community college during this time and I dropped out like three times, man. I didn't know, I, you know, and I never went back. I'm a college dropout. So uh, that's just, but you know, I, first I thought I wanted to do like, a, I wanted to be a history major or a poli sci. And I didn't wanna do that. And then I was like, well, I need to be a music major. And that's when I was going and doing the classical stuff and all that. And then I realized that, you know, like Evan Dando of the Lemonheads like dropped out of high school, you know, and here he was touring the world. And I'm like, it's all about the song, man. Like, it's all about the song, you know, that that's all there is to it. And, you know, the stuff wasn't super technical, but you know, you did have to have some kind of know-how to do it. Um, and then I wanted to be a, and this is going to tie in, believe it or not, I'm not going off the rails, but uh, I wanted to be a, uh, I thought I wanted to do journalism, you know, because I'm still at community college. I'm still having to take all my basics. So it, <clears throat> I was taking junk, man, that I didn't care about. And uh, and I should say, I think this is a huge, uh, 
reason for the way I am, you know, people, some people put a lot of stock in like their, uh, their signs, you know, like their astrological signs or whatever. I put more, I put so much in the fact that I'm left-handed. Okay. I'm left-handed. I play guitar right-handed. Okay. So I'm right-brained. All right. Creative blah, just, blah, but it's a mess. Like there's just, I'm the messiest dude. Like I could always find my locker in school because mom was the one that had the papers sticking out at the bottom. I'm just not detail oriented at all. Right. But I daydream a lot. Uh, mom used to tell me as a kid, get your head out of the clouds. If I had a dollar for every time she said, get your head out of the clouds, man, I'll, that'd be my career daydream, you know? Um, so anyway, I don't, I, man, I did get off. I did get off the rails. Oh yeah. But I, t I thought I wanted to do a journalism journalism and, and so I took those uh, a, a professor at Jackson State and he taught creative writing okay and I'm gonna go back a little I'm gonna go back to because uh, I, I it wasn't until later that I realized that all this stuff fit together mom mom read to me a lot as a child okay and with me being right-brained like math I suck I, I there's no reading comprehension that was my jam taught myself to read before I started elementary school. It was Bible verses, but I, like I knew, you know, church was a big deal back then. We, you know, when you're a kid, you know, that's all you did is you went to school and you rode your bike and then you went to church. That seems like that's all I did. So I taught myself to read before I ever got to school. Um, and usually good readers are good writers just because it, you soak it in, you know, and I sucked at the technical side of it, like diagramming sentences. It's math to me, man. But Dr. Perry, I love the way he did the class because it was, you wrote eight stories throughout the semester and he would just keep giving them back to you, red inked. And he'd tell you what was wrong, turn them back in and you kept doing them. And so, you know, half the week you'd be revising an old story, then he'd give you a new one and you just kept doing that. But it was only like eight stories. And then it, he would grade you, your final was you I, I don't know if it was just one or a handful, but you, you turned in your, what you felt were your top stories. That's how you got great. Dude, that class right there blew my mind because he would give us stuff like, okay, I want you to do a story. I want you to write a story about registering for your classes at Jackson state, the most mundane, boring. Well, man, I turned it into this huge, thing where I was like, you know, cause I was last minute Lucy anyway, you know, cause I'm, cause I'm right brain. That's going to keep coming up. I'm just sloppy. I'm late. I'm not, I'm not punctual. I just do. The, and so I had this whole deal where I was like, I really wanted this one class and I just found out the last minute and I was, you know, pushing people down the hall, trying to run through jumping over tables, made it into this huge, like Tom Cruise movie kind of thing, you know? And, uh, he was, he was like, he read ink the hell out of it. Cause I think I wrote in like all capitals and everything too. It was like, everything was bad about it except the story. The story was, he was like, man, this is really interesting. And then I dropped out. I just dropped out and I went to work and I met a girl. That's what it was. I met a girl and I got married. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> and then, so I just started working, you know, but that was all that ended up being lighter you know so go ahead Lauren I was gonna say so when, when you were taking this class and decided to drop out got married were you still playing guitar at that time I did uh, you know just around the house 
you know, I never did, I never did much. And I still hadn't written a song at this point. Um, but the girl I married, she had a, she had a six month old. And so for that marriage only lasted four years. So, I mean, I raised this kid for, you know, for about five years and I would play guitar around the house for him, but I put it down then because I mean, I was doing the adult thing, you know? <laughs> so how did you transition from this period of time to the next step of your uh, music and podcasting journey? I got divorced and, uh, <laughs> no, seriously, I got divorced. Okay. And then, um, well, I guess I should say this, this is a formative thing too. This is something I don't talk about a lot. At 22, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, uh, which pretty much killed any uh, chance of me having kids. And uh, that, that was another reason at, at 25 when I got married that I was so willing to take on a, a child because I figured, you know, that's probably the only shot I'd have at doing it. So when that marriage ended, I had a house that I'd bought for us. She went back to her hometown, obviously took the kid with her. Uh, it's getting way more personal than I wanted, but it is, it is integral to the story. Uh, and so I'm sitting there in an empty house, you know, I've got a three bedroom house and it's just me. And um, I picked the guitar back up. And at this point, Ryan Stone's starting to come over. Of course, I've got this cool house, you know, to myself. And um, I'd also started an online record store. This is back when eBay was just coming on, on board. That's why Elon Musk is my favorite person ever because he had me at PayPal, man. Because I went global from day one. So I, I raised, we were a single income family when I was married. So, I, you know, it was my wife and, and her child. And I was the only one bringing in any income. And I was working from home with an eBay store. And what I had this dream of was eventually I wanted to do a publication, kind of like Paste Magazine. I don't know if you're familiar with Paste. They kind of started out as like a, a, a record store, kind of, an online record store. This is, this is web, the first version of, of the internet bubble, right, um, for apps and stuff. So, you know, eBay was just coming online, PayPal, um, you know, I guess Napster and LimeWire and all that as far as music, you know, everything was, people were trying to figure out how, how they were going to, music industry was, kind of against the wall at that point. Um, anyway, so I had this plan of like, what I wanted to do is take this record store, morph it into a brick and mortar, and then a, and buy, uh, rent some place downtown in Jackson, and then live above it and uh, start my publication. And all that, but all that was to, I thought, that's how naive I was, to free me up to make music, because I really wanted to be an artist. This doesn't sound very freeing. That sounds like a lot of work. It was a lot of work. It was, it was futile. It was, it was, a, it was a fool's errand, man. Um, but, you know, but, so I was in music regardless, you know, whether it was on the retail side or making it. And, uh, but, you know, you, you got to make a living too, you know. So um, that was the more practical thing. And then the, um, I ended up not doing the business anymore. And, uh, but uh, like I said, my friend Ryan Stone was coming over and we were writing, we started writing and uh, the divorce actually spawned two songs that I, first ones I thought that were proper songs. You know, I'd, I'd probably written some crappy things before, but this was the first time um, 
and then he and I started playing out. Um, they started some open mics in town and uh, first time we'd ever done that, we started playing out together and that thing just kind of, kind of grew. Ended up meeting uh, Jonathan Singleton, who is now a hit national songwriter. Um, he kind of took us under his wing and we would open for him around town. And it was just, uh, and then I don't know, that open mic kind of just brought in all these other songwriters from town. Because Jackson's kind of a cover band town. You know, you can go and find someone playing Mustang Sally any night of the week, well, at least before COVID, you know, and songwriters were kind of, you didn't know they existed. And so that was a, that was a good learning experience. And uh, that kind of fueled the whole, and we actually wrote some pretty good stuff and Jonathan recorded, recorded us at home, you know. So where was Jonathan in his career at this point? Was it Jonathan was, was still the house band at Barley's. He was in the band, the Grove, but right at the tail end of that is when the, the label people were coming down and, you know, we were, we were all hanging out back when all that hit, okay. you know, and for you listeners, that's, uh, he now runs 50 egg, which has Luke Combs and other artists that you might've heard of. <laughs> yeah. 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 J Jonathan's done all right, you know, for himself. But uh, I'm trying to think of what, what really, I ended up getting married again to a girl who played guitar and wrote songs and, you know, uh, we, we played out a lot. And uh, of course, you know, at this point, man, we're in our thirties, you know, so Ryan and I kind of drifted apart, you know, he was having kids. I was getting married multiple times, you know, whatever, you know, you, you're doing your thing, you know how it is, you just go your separate ways. Um, you know, and you're just kind of concerned with making a living, you know, but at the, at the same time, I had a little eight track and I was still trying to get uh, with, with my second wife, you know, cause she could write too. I don't know. We started trying to look into the Nashville thing, even though we weren't country music people didn't really care for it. Um, I mean, cared for some of it, don't get me wrong, but by and large, it wasn't our bread and butter, you know, and, um, and then at this point, Jonathan moved up to Nashville. So, it's, you know, he, he kind of opened some doors for me and I went up there, you know, and messed around enough in Nashville to realize that I probably could have done it if, if my heart was, but my heart wasn't in that, that style of music and that, and that style of writing. Uh, and that sounds like a cop out. And, and, you know, I'm willing to say, you know, Nashville kicked my tail. That's, that's fine. I, I have no shame in that. But I, I, didn't, I didn't care after a while either. You know, I wasn't just like, oh, man. Getting a song on the radio was a, that was a, that was a thing, you know, but my biggest musical influence was Elliot Smith, who I ended up finding out about because of the movie Good Will Hunting. I was, and, and he was kind of the, his soundtrack was used in that movie. And of course he got nominated for an Oscar for it. Um, that was kind of the, the Simon and Garfunkel in The Graduate is the same kind of deal. Similar sounding music too, acoustic bass, but that movie is kind of paired with his music, just like The Graduate is paired with Simon and Garfunkel. And I was like, man, that's the way to go right there. If you can get your stuff in movies, I'd rather see it. I'd rather be sitting and watching my favorite show and hearing myself come on than, than the radio because I'd quit listening to radio at that point, you know? Um, so that's kind of where I've been since um, 
when my second marriage ended, I, I saved up for two years. I saved up a bunch of money, uh, a, a year's worth of living expenses. And I bought a bunch of equipment and, and that's when I was doing the Nashville thing. And it wasn't until I quit my job that Jonathan said, come right with me, you know, cause I'm sure he's got all his old pals who played music in Jackson going, Hey man, you know, remember me, you know, and he didn't think I was serious about it. You know, and like I said, I ended up not doing that, but I was serious enough about it that I, you know, I'd quit my job. And so I could just do music full time for a year. So we went up there and we wrote a really good song. I think, you know, and, um, a guy ended up cutting it, but he was an up and coming guy. And a lot of times that's the kiss, kiss of death for a song. If, if it's not a known person, they don't, they don't recut songs. It's, it's almost like it's, you know, it's tainted at that point. So, um, the guy did a really good version. He's really good. I hope he, I hope he, uh, ends up doing something, but you know, he self-released it. And, and like I said, about that time I, I decided, I, you know, and I had, and I was, I'd gone broke, man. Uh, that year that I had the living expenses, I ended up stretching that out for two, possibly three years. Not, I didn't stretch the money out. I just stretched not getting a full-time job and I was doing everything. I was Uber driving in Nashville. I was delivering cars across the country. I was temping, temping for UPS. And then I ended up just pawning and selling everything. I sold my Gibson J40, the one of my guitar that I saved up for in that two year money period. Ended up losing that and just, I mean, fell flat on my face. Um, I mean, I was, I was gigging, I was busking outside of Old Navy in Jackson um, with the guitar case open just for gas money, you know. Cause I was looking for a job. I mean, I'm not afraid to work. It was just, you know, once you get in that, you're like, oh, man, I don't, I'm this far in, like, I do not want to just tuck my tail and go home. But I, I ended up getting, getting a job, um, which is actually where I'm working now full time. But I ended up having to go back to the first job I ever had at a grocery store, you know, when I was 16. So you want to talk about humble pie, man, you know, I, uh, but I was, I was too stubborn to go, I give up I, because right when I got hired, I'd also signed some songs to a catalog in LA that pitches to put in movies and TVs and commercials. And um, so I thought, okay, man, it's about to happen. Yeah. What it advice did, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say it didn't right away anyway. Um, anyway, go ahead. I was curious, did Jonathan have any advice for you while you were experiencing all of this? You know, I, I should say that Jonathan, the, 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 I should say that the best thing Jonathan did for me was agreeing to write with me because that Joker is so talented and I got to write with a professional. You know, he had like four or five number ones at that point. And I don't know how many he has now, but you know, he, he was established. That in and of itself is enough, but you know what, what it was, man, is he said, dude, what, what you need to do is you need to, uh, you need to get a program. You can either get pro tools or logic. If you've got a Mac and you need to start recording your own music yourself. And man, that was probably the best advice I've ever been given because 
I did it. And if you want to get your stuff into, unless you've got bookoos of money can go into a studio. If you want to get, you know, it's one thing to, in Nashville, you know, for country music, you write a song, you might demo it. You might do a rough demo, but somebody else cuts it. If somebody, if somebody takes on that song, you know, your, uh, your big names are going to, they're putting all their money behind it. They're going to cut it. If you're, if you want your stuff used in an episode of the blacklist, you got to do that yourself. So that was, I mean, that's more of a, it wasn't a philosophical piece of advice. It was more of a, you know, every day, here's what you should do. Uh, and that changed my world, man, because um, that's how I ended up getting the, the, the deal in LA, you know, and I thought that was a deal. I didn't realize that that when I'd, I'd gotten hired back on at the grocery store, I thought I'll be here for six months and I'm, I'm out. As soon as I get a couple of things, you know, well, now, you know, they, they, they're like a publishing company either. And, you know, and they get a finder's fee, which is half your publishing, just like a publishing company does. And then they go out and try to pitch your stuff. So that was really only the first hurdle. It was that your stuff is good enough to be in their catalog. But, you know, they're pitching all kinds of songs everywhere. And they got to find that right fit. Mm -hmm. So six months turned into five years at the, at the grocery store, you know, but I learned how to record, you know, uh, which eventually led into the podcast. So, yeah. So that's what I was about to ask. Your first one was left of Nashville, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which was documenting the whole quitting my job. I mean, man, I walked away from, I was making decent money and I liked it. I got to drive every day. I mean, but it was a job. It wasn't, I mean, it might've been a career, I don't know, but it wasn't my passion. You know, I, I was pretty good at my job, but I was like, eh, I think I'm a better songwriter than I am at doing this job. And then after the, the second divorce, again, I found myself alone. I'm like, well, why am I working 60 hours a week? Like I'm trying to support a family when it's just me. Like, what, you know, what am I gonna do? I mean, honestly, to fill that void too, you know? going home to an empty house every day after driving a parts truck, you know, it's just like, uh, that's how people end up in the bottle, man, you know? So I needed something to make me want to get up every day, you know, besides the money. Yeah. And I thought, I think I read somewhere that you felt like the struggle made you more creative. Was that true? I don't know the context of, of, where I said that, but I'm, I agree with that. You know, I, I would think, um, well, yeah, left in Nashville kind of started out of that, that, that podcast, you know, because that was me documenting, um, that whole deal, you know, and it was like, uh, well, this would be cool. And it was a way to get my music out there too. And, uh, you know, when Jonathan's in it, he's in two or three episodes and you know, um, his, his episodes are like the most, downloaded and everybody, everybody <laughs> loved because you know because when you record when you write in Nashville you know you usually record it because you so you can remember so we had the whole thing the whole song so I put this whole song it was edited with my narration in it but it was uh you know you got to you got to hear Jonathan Singleton writing a song which not many people get to do unless you're in the writing room with him so it was a, it, yeah so in that sense yeah I was dead broke basically and uh but I did have my equipment and so I just would come up with ideas like that, you know, 
that um but then you know it got to the point where i got so broke that we're man you're just trying to eat and you know i don't have time to document this crap and put it you know put it out man <laughs> you know i'm starving i'm just you know but uh yeah the struggle does man you know it, and it, it'll show you if you've got it if you've got the passion for it you know because who who would do in the right mind would do that would keep putting themselves through that you know who would who would walk away from you know making a good living to try it and then failing and then going yeah but you know what i think if i just gave it one more shot you know i'm either i'm either resilient or i'm just stupid man <laughs> <laughs> so what year is the is the first podcast left in nashville that was 2015 okay. so that's five years ago and i did two seasons of that you know, and the first season's really bad, not, not content-wise, because that's the one that's got Jonathan in it and everything, but, like, you can hear all kinds of, like, my edits. You can hear where they stop, and it's, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, I, but halfway through that first season, I learned how to edit, and um, and it's fun. it was fun. Because, I mean, I was doing songs, and a podcast, even if you have narration, background, I had music that came in, you know, um, is way easier than trying to record and mix a song still but you had that you could basically use that same template you know instead of drums coming in halfway through you've got the narration fading fading out and you got some music coming in you know and i've watched enough tv and listened to enough radio shows you know produced radio shows that like this american life and stuff like that where i i knew how to do that you know and use like uh road noise and uh bugs you know just outdoorsy stuff you know in the middle of you know depending on how it, and man that was almost that probably is as much fun as creating a song out of nowhere and recording that for me it's the same thing i was gonna say it sounds like it was feeding that creative need in you and almost kind of like you know what i'm imagining those like old radio shows where they would have the sound effects and like different things yeah yeah and, and you know, and you don't want to make it too campy either. I mean, you know, you, you wanted it to be, but you know, and that's when I kind of realized that it's all storytelling, whether it's a song, whether it's a podcast, it's storytelling. I mean, that's what you guys want from me today. I mean, that's just how we process information, you know? So yeah, it's just different ways of doing it, you know? And so your as broke as you've ever been, you're producing, and I can't imagine doing this, trying to figure out what you're going to eat next because <laughs> it's stressful enough. <laughs> right. Not yeah. have, not being in that situation. Um, so, what comes next? Is this when you go into the next searching for ghosts? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, luckily, I was in. I, uh, th there was a guy in in Meaden, Tennessee, outside of Jackson. And uh, he got it in his mother's house, the house he grew up in, and she had passed 100 years old. He didn't know what to do with it. It's set on a piece of cherry land, though. It's like on nine acres, right? And he just needed to keep it occupied for, like, tax reasons or whatever. So I ended up in that house. I didn't have to pay rent, but it was 100 years old, man, and it was to heat and cool it cost as much as rent. And then I had nine acres. I had to try to figure out how to mow, right? so 
Uh, you know, it, but, but still it, that also allowed me to, and it was 30 minutes from 40 minutes from my job. So I was, that, that's why I was out at old, old Navy trying to play for gas money. Cause it would, I was, I was spending what I would make just to get out there, you know? Um, and that thing was falling apart. It ended up at the end, it ended up being where I was basically squatting out there. You know, and he was like, I got to do something with this house, you know, because it, the foundation had shifted termites or it was, it, it was built in 1906. I mean, seriously, the, there's not enough. Cause you know, the deal was you, you kind of keep it up, you know, and I, and I had gravel put down on the driveway, had a couple of trees taken down back when I had money, but you, you know, you can't save it. This, this thing was, the foundation had shifted. It was shifted when I, when I, there was a room I used to practice music in and it was in this office chair right here. It was hardwood floors. I could pick my feet up and I would slide to the other wall. That's how <laughs> off the house was, right? <laughs> so, you know, I didn't need too much to survive though, you know, money-wise, uh, especially in the winter because I have to mow. And I got to where I was just living out of one room. I mean, it was awful, dude. It really was. I was living out of one room trying to heat that and then just to keep my bills down. But yeah, I, 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 did, the, I did the left Nashville thing for two seasons. And man, I just got tired of talking about me it just seemed very self-serving, you know? Um, Cause at first, seriously, I thought, you know, this will help people, especially if I hit my lick, man. Like you can see it from the, from the Genesis, man. You can see it from the beginning, you know? Um, and if, if I don't, you can see that too. Um, but man, it just seemed very selfish, you know? And uh, at that point, Serial, the podcast Serial had come out. And I, I've always been a true crime person anyway. I need to go back to, I took some of that creative writing that I learned and I ended up writing for some local papers here in town in the mid 2000s. Um, a lot of feature stories, nothing, nothing really hard news. I did a little bit of hard news, but it was pretty much, and like I said, I was a college dropout. I was in that newsroom. It was a, it was a, you know, it was a little startup, you know, they, they were trying to compete with the Jackson Sun, which is the Gannett paper in town. And, uh, but I did have some, some college graduates in there, you know, who went to school for the thing. So I really, and I was only in there for six months because they closed, ended up closing the paper down. But I ended up learning like about AP style and certain things like that. And their big thing was, you know, get good quotes, get good quotes, always get good quotes. Uh, and then you kind of build the story around the quotes. Mm -hmm. You know, and you, you know, you don't put too many quotes in a, in a newspaper story, but you, you do enough. Well, I kind of turned that on its head with the podcast and I built the whole thing around the quotes, especially if I had some good audio, if you get enough, you know, and that way, especially with the searching for ghosts. So I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't know. I know what I've read online about these stories. So, okay. So that, that, give you a little background after left in Nashville sick of talking about me I was really hooked on cereal I just thought that first season was the Beatles as far as podcasts go true true crime I love the way they edited it. I love the way she told the story I loved her voice Sarah Koenig I just loved everything about it which it was this American life people I mean they know how to produce stuff you know um and I was like man that would be somebody needs to do that on a Casey McDaniel from Ireland, you know, I was just saying that to myself and I was like, ding, ding, ding. You've got all the equipment. 
you've already done a podcast, you know how to edit it, you know how to record it, you know how to write it, you can script it, you know how to do it all. You know, you just gotta get people to talk to you. So I started the first season of Searching for Ghosts, which was uh, a documentary into the look up, in, 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 a look into the disappearance of Casey McDaniel, who disappeared from her home in 1996 from Milan, Tennessee, which is what, 30 minutes away from Jackson, 20, something like that. Um, and um, that started me on, on, on that thing, you know, the true crime thing. Because again, in my mind, it's all the same. If it interests me, whether it's a song, whether it's a documentary about me, whether it's trying to make a story about me registering for classes at Jackson State interesting, it's the same thing. It's storytelling. Everybody's got a story. And then you, you take something like a missing child. I mean, the story's already in there, man, right? You just got to pull it out. And you just have to guide it, you know. Did it ever feel overwhelming? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I batted it around for months because I knew, I knew, man, I was about to open up a can of worms. You know, I'm a private person. I don't, I'm, I'm like a libertarian. I, I, you do you, I do me. I'm cool, man. You know, I was about to delve into people's personal lives, which is so not me, you know, and the subject matter too. You know, you're going, there's a lot of pressure, man, already, you know, to do this right. I didn't want it being tabloid. You know, I didn't want it. I wanted it to be like cereal, you know, but you don't know how it's going to end. You know how her story, as far as we know, has ended. She's still missing. But what am I going to do with this thing? You know, and obviously the, the, the hope is that you smoke out new information uh, because I also, there was Serial and then there was Up and Vanished. There was a podcast down in Atlanta. And it was the Tara Grinstead case. And that guy was not a podcaster either. He was a, he was a video, he was a, he was a filmmaker, I think, like a documentarian, I think. So he, you know, he, he was kind of, kind of like me. He was kind of in a field right beside that, you know. And dude, they cracked that case because of his podcast. And he was so off the mark. But what he did, he just raised so much awareness and he's just, and his was a little more tabloidy than, than, you know, he, you gotta be careful, man. You know, you don't want to slander people, you know? Um, but I saw that they, they made an arrest in that case first time in, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And his podcast was the impetus of that for that. So I was like, man, that's best case scenario, you know? And plus I don't have to talk about me. And, you know, and I'm not going to lie, and pe people, uh, this is one of the overwhelming things is that people, what people don't understand, you know, I was, I was not a mercenary by any means, but man, you can't take on something that much. People don't realize, you know, they, they've hit play for 20 minutes. It's easy to listen to, but producing it, you know, a crap ton of work I, I was trying to get sponsors for it man because i was trying to i wanted i wanted to do well and do good i wanted to parlay my talents into a career that also did did you know good for people well man i got raked over the coals for that you're trying to make the money off the back of this missing girl you know and i i got that's enough to make you you hear that enough times man that'll make you want to just you know tell them i'm doing it 
screw you guys, man. If you don't want it, you know, you've had 20 years for somebody to do something on this. Nobody has. And now you're, you're busting me because I'm trying to like eat, you know. And again, I wasn't a mercenary about it, you know. But people don't understand that these podcasts just don't fall out of the sky, <laughs> you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right? I mean. 100%. And so is this resistance the first season or both? First season, they shut up by the second season because, um, you know, you're always, you're always going to have your naysayers, but we, uh, and, and uh, man, I'm a little fuzzy on the, um, exactly what went down while I was, we, we took season one, we took Casey's case as far as we could. Um, and you have to understand hardly anybody was willing to talk. I did this thing, wet finger in the air and started in on this thing and uh it was crickets man but i had two two ladies who met with me for six hours and gave me everything and then they got cold feet wow. i talked them into let i said look if you don't if you don't do this i can't do it because i can't tell the story nobody wants to hear me read a story to them because it's all going to be you know i need interviews i, I need you know and i was trying to explain i mean man we had to explain what a podcast was around here too Seriously, we had to put instructional things on social media to like, okay, if, if, you're, uh, if you're an iPhone user, no big deal. You have a podcast app on the phone, easy peasy. If you're an Android user, okay, here we go. You know, go That's okay. I've had to do that with my family for this one. So. <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, the whole thing was a slog, man. It was from start to finish. It was nobody wanted to talk uh, at first. And, but we, I took it as far as I could take it and it, you know, it, it stayed open-ended, you know, we threw, we did throw some theories out there and we did ruffle some feathers. We tried to keep it, you know, um, as non-tabloid ish as, as we could, mm -hmm. but it's kind of hard to, you know, it's, it, it's really hard when you don't know because man, 80% of what was being said about this case were rumors anyway. So you're just like, you know, how do you, how do you verify this stuff? You know? Um, so that ended, uh, I mean, I got death threats, um, on more than one occasion with that one. But I think I was in a zone at that point. Um, I was in a fog and I was still running off the adrenaline of that, that within, I, can't believe this but i look back it's like four months later i started season two okay which was bethany markowski who went missing from my hometown jackson tennessee allegedly from the mall reached out to uh, bethany's mother who lives in nashville and she was like oh honey you ain't gonna have any trouble getting information out of us she's like come to nashville and we'll get a team of people together who all have, you know, we're all around during this time, family members and friends. You know, I, I went up there, sat in a room and recorded them for six hours and got, it was, it was already laid out by the time I had it. That season two, if I don't do anything else, as far as a production standpoint, is what I'm most proud of it reads, it comes off like cereal, it, it, but it's, that's all them. That's all that, because I had the information. I wasn't having to fish for it, you know. Uh, 
I'm trying to make this brief, man. I'm sorry. This is uh, I, I get on a tangent. Um, That's great. Basically, long story short, I was going to do Bethany's first because she was closer to home. But then I found out her mother lived in Nashville. So I did the Casey McDaniel story first because that was Milan, still closer than Nashville. Well, it turns out we ended up catching law enforcement's attention with um, the season two. They were, they were listening to it. Like it was the talk around law enforcement circles. Hmm. Well, it just so happened the main suspect in Casey McDaniels had gotten out of prison at that point and started doing hood rat stuff like he does, right? <laughs> and he got on their radar. And like, so they were looking at Bethany's and interested in that. And then this starts happening. They jump on, long story short, FBI ends up getting involved in Casey McDaniels, you know, and they made the first arrest in 24 years with that case yeah. and charged him with two counts of murder, two counts of rape. I mean, it was, you know, it was, uh, in, in a nobody case. I mean, she still has not been found. So, I mean, you know, that I don't know what they have or whatever, but, but the podcast was, is what started all the, the talk, just like with up and vanished in Georgia, you know, um, it brought attention to those two cases that, you know, were, multiple years old and uh but at that point i was so burnt out i, I couldn't do it anymore it, it all hit me after season two you know hey so, that's uh great accomplishment to generate that much attention and b any chance that you'll eventually get to a season three i'm keeping that door open you know i don't i don't want and, and because of covid there no, no trials have been going on with, with Casey's case. Uh, no hearings have even been, happened. So um, we're going to follow up. You know, we're going to see all that through. So I, I will definitely have to do updates on anything that happens with season one and season two, right, in those cases. I'm not going to drop it. Uh, as far as a brand new season, though, and a brand new case, it's such a – you know, it is such a, um, a lot of work and the odds of getting law enforcement. Cause right now we've, we've just in this area anyway, you've got two cases that are back in the attention of the powers that be, right? You throw a third one on there, they're not going to have the manpower to get on another one. So you're not going to get the same results, at least not immediately, which we didn't with Casey's immediately. You know, we thought that one was never going to be solved. Um, so then you kind of have to ask yourself, well, why, why am I doing it? You know, am I doing it just to tell, just to tell the story? I mean, I can do that, you know, cause I wanted to do Marlena Childers who disappeared from Union City in like 87. But you're talking 87, man, that's going even further back than Casey's, which was 96 and Bethany's was 2001, right? Man, you want to talk about, you know, with, with Bethany, at least there was, uh, cell phones, uh, Casey's the internet had just started, but you go back to 87, man, mm -hmm. you don't talk about work. And then, and then if you don't have law enforcement to kind of catch any, anything that pops up, I mean, I'm not saying that they wouldn't drop everything and go, but I don't know. Again, you just kind of have to ask yourself, what are you doing? 
you know, why are you doing it? You know, um, timing was everything on those first two seasons and you couldn't predict that. And maybe I'm trying to predict it now and I shouldn't say, you know, I shouldn't say I'm not going to do that. Um, but you know, Marlena, Marlena's case, which would, you know, would have been the third season, you know, she was on unsolved mysteries, the original unsolved mysteries, you know, it was, it made national news. Oh man. And there's enough stuff there that, you know, she was spotted in Memphis supposedly and all this stuff. Of course, the mother uh, admitted to, you know, killing her and then she recanted it. it it's a mess, man. And, but they, I just, I also have my mental health to think about, <laughs> you know, I don't know that I'm cut out for it, to be honest with you, long term. That's, I'm not a John Walsh, man. You know, and I know he got into it. He didn't have a choice. His son, you know, is, is why, is what fuels him. But it's hard, man, to choose to do something like that over and over and over again. And not to be selfish, but, you know, I, I can't go crazy in the middle of it. It's not going to do anybody any good, you know. Well, I can't imagine your circumstances because – I think any podcast launch might drive one crazy, much less the <laughs> subject matter of yours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and plus, you know, it strikes me, right, the diversity of your interest in this, right, because you have the interest in the storytelling and the writing and this, like, you know, the, all the work, like journalism, right, all that stuff that goes into being able to tell the story, but then you have the, like you said, mu your musical interest and writing the music and the sounds and all that, then you have kind of the production of it and yeah. I mean, a lot, right? And yeah, while it's probably, I will say in some ways easier for you because you have that diversity of interest and background that also I would suspect makes it harder because you're, you have so much that you're trying to do with, the, with these podcasts and these episodes. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's a perfect, it was a perfect storm. You know, I didn't know what a podcast was when I was taking creative writing or even when I was writing for those papers, but I used those tools eventually and, and the music and the music production and the mixing and all that. And all, it was just a perfect storm, which it was almost like, you have to do it. You have to do this because look at, look, you've got all these skill sets that you just kind of stumbled on, right? And then here you can put it in one nice little package. So yeah, that it was too enticing. Man, I had to do it. But mm -hmm. then you get in there and you're like, oh man, this is a lot of work, you know, because I'm having to do everything, you know. I've been like Kevin was saying, and you were saying before, that what's at stake for the work that you're doing? There's yeah. a lot of we have kind of external pressure there too, besides the internal pressure I imagine you must have had with how you wanted things to be put together. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I do want to say this too, just because, you know, like I said, it's, it's open-ended whether a season three will ever happen. I do not regret doing, you know, and I, I'm not taking credit for it. I mean, I think, I think something bigger was behind this whole thing, that, starting with the germ of the idea, because like I said, I batted it around for three or four months. Mm -hmm. I was going to do it, then I wasn't, then I was you know, I was like, and I finally, I had to. Um, it moved the needle. It, it made a difference, you know, um, I, I don't regret that at all, you know, I, you know, and I certainly don't want to sound ungrateful and like, oh, boo-hoo me when that was the result. It's just, but can you keep doing that? Yeah. You know, can you, can you continue to put yourself through that? And, and that, that remains to be seen right now, you know. It was also success as far as listenership 
did the did you continue to pursue sponsorship or did you just kind of let that go you know the i don't know if you you guys may have looked into all this and um which i think you know you can kind of go a more you can go a different route but like the the industry standard for podcasts you know you have to do so many downloads per a five six week period i think i didn't get to where i was doing that until the tail end of season two and like i said season two was so i had so much information i knew how that dude was going to end when i started it it was just a matter of telling it the best way possible i had so much audio and had so much help on that one so i knew the thing was going to be whatever it was 12 episodes maybe you know it was around eight or nine where i was I was juking the numbers, man. It was going, but I knew there was only going to be three or four more episodes. And I, that's one thing I did not want to do. That's why I ended Casey season when I did. Cause that one's sloppy, man. Cause like I said, we did not have the help. We didn't have the information. There was a lot of wet finger in there, like I said, mm-hmm. but what I did not want to do was drag that out and have really piss poor content just so I could possibly get advertisers. See that to me, that is selling out. You know, where if you don't have anything else to say, you know, stop while you're ahead. Whether that means no sponsorships, you know, that's why it hurts so bad to get accused of being like a mercenary about it. Because it was just like, you know, uh, yeah, the numbers for season two, you know, and I think total right now, last time I looked at like it, I mean, it still never broke a million, but it's like 353, 355 you know, over a quarter of a million uh, downloads on that one, you know, so we got some attention, but like I said, it ended right when it was hitting the numbers that you would need to do that, you know, and uh, again, I'm not going to keep it going just to make money. That's stupid, you know. And then the, was it seven stories or 12 stories? Is that the next one or is that to be launched yet? It it hasn't been, that is what I want to do. Seven stories, uh, Jackson, and, and you can see, in the content I, i've gone about as far away from true crime as i can um it's more you know seven stories is just basically seven unique stories from people from jackson tennessee so you, you had the carl perkins thing but i didn't want to do the typical story you had isaac tiger who started the hard rock cafe and the house of blues it's from here um steve fawcett the first guy to circumnavigate the globe in a hot air balloon from Jackson, Tennessee. A lot of people don't know that, you know, the Waffle House dudes. I, I don't, I don't know if the Waffle House, I'm still in the, I don't know if I, if, if I can make a good story out of that, but it is interesting. I love the ham and cheese omelet plate, you know? So, but um, of course, Casey Jones, but you had Sonny Boy Williamson, who was uh, man, Sonny Boy got a raw deal. And that's what I, I ended up making a trailer because what I was going to do is pitch it to the city. And I did. Um, because I wanted tourism mm. to pick it up. And I wanted to make sure I could get funding for it because this one was going to be a lot of work. But Sonny Boy Williamson is, was basically the Jimi Hendrix of the, of the harp, of the harmonica. The, re, the way you hear the blues played today, he invented that style. Okay, a lot of people don't know that because there was a Sonny Boy Williamson who came along after our Sonny Boy died and he stole his name. And he ended up going on tour with a bunch of those British acts when the the British blues thing was happening in the 60 yard birds and all that. He played like Newport folk and all that. He stole Sonny boy 
Williamson's name. I can't remember his name now. The, but yeah, um, our Sonny Boy got stabbed out, outside of a club in Chicago in like 48. And then uh, the other Sonny Boy comes along and he gets all this recognition in the 60s, man. And so it, it's so bad now that it's like Sonny Boy 1 and Sonny Boy, Boy 2. But he basically just took his identity because he could pack the clubs out that way. And um, I said I was going to not forget his name. Who's the um, Randy Newman, you know, uh, Toy Story, You Got a Friend in Me and Short People and mm. award-winning songwriter. Yeah. His last album, man, he wrote, he uh, has a song in there. It was a single. He's got a video for it on YouTube. You got to link to it if you can, called Sunny Boy. And it's from Jackson, Tennessee, Sunny Boy Williamson up in heaven talking about how the other one stole his identity and how he's in hell because, you know, it's, you know, it's Randy Newman. So it's got a, it's got a cool story to it, but um, you know, Sonny boy ended up getting on uh, Randy Newman's radar, you know, uh, on his last album, you know, and he's buried out here in Madison County and everybody from Robert Plant to uh, John Sebastian of the Love and Spoonful. There was a rumor that Clapton had come out here, but anyway, they lay harps, harmonicas on his, on his tombstone. He's just got a great story, man. And Mike Baker over here at the Jackson Madison County Library is the one who had to fight to get him. He was in an unmarked grave. Um, he fought RCA back in the 90s and said, look, you, you screwed these loose guys over the whole time they were recording and stole money from them. At least you can do is get him a good headstone. And so they did. And uh, stories like that, dude, I just wanted to lay it out there. And then COVID happened. And so tourism was not a uh, option this year. So that one's in limbo. Well, I'm intrigued by the concept for sure. I want to hear all those stories. Yeah, I do too. Cause I, you know, I'm going to have to, you learn as you go, right? You got to research it as you go. So, yeah. I was going to say, so of all these different backgrounds that you've had, it sounds like the storytelling one is the most interesting or kind of motivating for you. You started with kind of telling your own story and then told, two other kind of women's stories or, you know, the stories of kind of two women and now kind of profiling some different stories. So is that, do you think kind of the, the thread for you? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and cause songwriting is the same thing, just in a different, mm -hmm. and that usually is a little more introspective, the songwriting and you're, you're kind of going, this, this is a cool way for me to talk about other people. Mm -hmm. And like I said, if I get the quotes and get other people talking and then I just kind of guide it, I can almost get out of the way and let the story tell itself. And that is awesome, man. Yeah, that, that's a kit for that's me. What I, that's what Kevin and I try and do as well. <laughs> we just sit here and listen. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you, you know, I, I always go, well, who, who the hell cares what I think about whatever, you know? I mean, seriously, who, who am I to – who cares? You know, especially in this climate, you know, everybody's got an opinion on everything, and they've got a platform to put it out on, you know? So it's like I'm just trying to back out of it and just let – but, you know, guide it enough to where it's cool and interesting and different and not negative and, and something positive. You know, I know it's hard to say it's not negative when it's a missing persons, but you know, it has some positive results, you know. Well, just, I want to go on record. I'm going to adopt your name and persona. I'm going to <laughs> here for to be known as uh, Brandon Barnett. <laughs> Copy well, <me. laughs> uh, you're not going to get anything out of it. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think it's, uh, I'm joking, of course, but the, uh, I think you're, it's a good time to talk about your labor of love, your love story. Um, oh, yeah. I'm going to share too with a, the image of all these kind of together. Yes. Um, 
Okay, so I mentioned Elliot Smith earlier in the interview, and that was that was the biggest influence for me and my buddy Ryan Stone. Um, and we did some cool stuff, man. Elliot, for those who, who may not know, Elliot, I think I've already mentioned, uh, he, he kind of rose to prominence because his songs were featured in Good Will Hunting in 97. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's screenplay. Oscar winning, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, that was just, that was the buzz that year because you had Titanic was the other movie. That's who won the, that was Celine Dion, I think, won the, for the best song. But she also had Con Air. I think Trisha Yearwood was the, whatever that song was. But anyway, you know, you had your big blockbusters and then you had this little indie film, Good Will Hunting. And you had this little indie guy who had all the music in it, you know. And dude, that was just our, that was, that, that was like, the nirvana thing again for me except more it's like that's that's the kind of stuff i'd like to produce and i'd like to have my that that success to me right so stone and i ryan and i were so uh, and we were playing acoustic guitar and this guy was doing exactly what we were trying to do you know musically so we just flipped so after the oscars happened he went on tour we just figured for sure he played either memphis or nashville man everybody plays tennessee right and we're right in the middle we can go either way and, and catch him. closest place we could find was in uh, chapel hill north carolina so we drove 600 miles to see him got to meet him got all these cool stories then we ended up going back when he the next leg of the tour he came back to nashville we got to see him there and then a buddy of mine got an autograph well then i, I couldn't get anybody to go with me for the third show that happened at the now defunct 328 performance hall in Nashville. So I was alone and it's the best concert I've ever been to because I don't want to give too much away, but the power went out. It was a bad storm. That was, that was, you know, 99, 2000, we had tornadoes here in Jackson. We had them in downtown Nashville. It was, it was a bad year for storm, a couple of years for storms. It knocked the power out the venue. They put candles out on the stage, which you have to understand this guy, was known in the in the Goodwill Hunting. A lot of those songs were very stripped down acoustic, and you know, and as he got signed to a major label, you know, his albums got bigger and they became more rock shows. Well, this was you got to hear him in his element playing stripped down. Except he didn't have he he didn't have a PA. He didn't have a vocal mic. It was like he's sitting in the living room. Except there were seven hundred of us in, in in this venue, and then the power was off. It was in May. It was hot. Everybody was sweating. They lit candles on the stage, the only lighting we had. And we ended up scooching up to the stage. Anyway, it was magic. And then, and then they used the tour bus generator to at least get him a vocal mic. And then slowly by slowly, power started coming back on and he ended up doing the full band set. So we got to see him doing the total strip down to all the way. And I just, I went, I went alone. I wanted to do a documentary on that show alone. The, the, Venue is no longer there. They tore it down like an opery. I didn't know, none of my buddies could go with me. I've been sitting on this for 20 years. I blogged about it. I talked about it. I couldn't find anybody, you know? Somebody found it on like LimeWire in the mid 2000s. The, the act, somebody had recorded it on a really crappy, ver you know, like on a, what journalists use, like a little voice recorder thing. Cause this was pre, smartphones, he didn't even have any video of it, right? Or anything. And then it ended up on YouTube. And then as people started commenting on it, and I, and I was like, there's my people. Cause I haven't been able to share this concert with anybody, you know, I, my friends, but they, you know, they don't 
care because they weren't there, man. <laughs> you know, so it's a mini episode, uh, mini three episode podcast about how Elliot Smith changed our life musically, culminating with the power outage show. And then I've got complete strangers who I've tracked down somewhere in LA now. And we're all telling, of course, it's, it's built like the searching for ghosts, my narration. And I've got some, I can't do the music because of licensing. I do some of my music just for background, but I can't do his, but I've got snippets of him, the banter. I got the power coming back on and, you know, at least for his vocal mic and the crowd going wild, you know, and it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I was having trouble remembering it. I didn't have anybody to really talk to about it. And so I just found a bunch of strangers who were there and made a podcast out of it. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. And what's the release date for this? I'm hoping, I don't know when our, this is going to air and I don't know the date. It's either the week, it's either going to be next week or the week following. I'm working on the last episode now. So it either be the week of the 14th or the week of the 22nd. It's coming out this in September. Um, so either one or two weeks from now. Gotcha. Just because I, I might, I'm, I might, there's some, even if I have it done, there's a few things business wise I'd like to kind of shore up before I release it possibly. Uh, Cause it ended up being a love letter too to independent venues. And in the COVID era, era that, that's kind of how I spun it. Mm -hmm. Not intentionally, that's how it came out. Um, because we did a bunch of cool stuff that you couldn't do at like arena shows. And these, these guys are struggling, man. Yeah, sure. So. Just for those listening, or for the listener, Elliot is a late musician, artist who inspired a lot of uh, other artists, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and and this is um I wanted I didn't want to, everything around Elliot Smith is really sad. Everything you read about him, but I, I don't want to. This is a very happy. It's actually a funny podcast, and I want to. But you know you can't get away. You know he passed in two thousand three, um, under mysterious circumstances. Um, so there 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 will never be another Elliot Smith show for me. So that that's also another reason to get this down document it because man you'll you'll hear it in the podcast it's been 20 years we had so much trouble remembering certain things but we all got together enough to make the story so that was cool well, i hope everyone will check it out for sure yeah me too check it out you certainly have creative ideas that's for sure <laughs> when you start talking about one i'm like oh that's so fascinating and then you talk about the next one like that's even more fascinating <laughs> I can't stop. I, I can't stop. It's almost like a, a disease for me. I have to get it out. It's almost like I have to get it out and, get, and go on with it, get, get away from it. You know, you know what I mean? It's, um, there's certainly benefits to that. Right. But do you find that that's also challenging? It's draining, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, which it's cool. I mean, I, I wouldn't have it any other way, but it's, uh, you know, you're in the shower and you're like, man, I wish somebody, and that's another thing too. Uh, I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with Seth, uh, Seth Godin, the entrepreneur guy, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. purple cow and all that, where he's like, you know, uh, pick yourself. Don't wait to be picked. You know, uh, I'm a huge believer in that. And, uh, and instead of getting on social media and griping about what's not out there, if, if I find something 
I, I would do a, a, a documentary on the band Big Star out of Memphis if I could, but I can't. It's hard to do music people when you can't use their music. Because mm -hmm. podcasts have a different set of licensing. You can't just do a blanket license and use it. You have to actually pay for the song and then renew it every year. And the people who do use other people's music in there, they're not doing it right. They're not doing it legally, I don't think, because I've looked into it. Anyway, um, yeah, but it's a way to go. It, it keeps me positive because if, if there's something I don't like, well, I wish somebody would do something on this. You know, just, you know, you, you could, if you have, if it's in that, in my wheelhouse, right, I do it. If I want to see it out there, I just make it happen. And then I can go, I can breathe. I'm going about my life, you know, <laughs> stop being mad about it. <laughs> you know, there's anger in a lot of this too. It's like, why has anybody talked about Elliot Smith lately? You know, and then I'll do an Elliot Smith podcast. You know? Love it. Um, so what have you learned about yourself throughout all of these? I'm neurotic. No. <laughs> I, um, that. Okay. One, you know, what you think success is like, I'm still not able to do this full time. You know what I mean? That, to me, that was always the metric that was, you know, if I, and uh, oh, also I, I do voice work on the side too. That was another byproduct of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that might end up being how I fund some of this other. So I don't mind sure. the podcast being a loss leader if I'm making money on the voiceover work. Cause it, it's all the same thing to me. It's all audio. It's all me. I'm, I'm creating it. So I'm cool with that. You know, um, I forgot the question. What have you oh, learned about yourself? Um, well, I think there's also a part that, that comes from seeking validation. People say that they're not, they can say it all day long. They're, they're liars. They're, they're, you know, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I've gotten to a point now where I really don't have to prove it to myself. If I would listen to what I produce, if I didn't produce it, then I've, I've hit the mark, right? We're used to, it was kind of be like, look at me, look at me, look what I can do. You know, <laughs> so I've, I guess I've grown in that. I've also learned, so I've learned, but I've also learned that, you know, success doesn't look like what you think it's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. But I've learned that I can't stop anyway. I'm gonna just gonna keep chugging. So I, I guess I have resilience, you know. Awesome. It's fun. Um, what advice would you have for an aspiring podcaster or musician? <laughs> Man, I don't know. Just uh, stay true. Stay true to you. You know, um, I think we all do it. We find an artist. Or we find some. You know, you'll find an Elliot Smith, and you're like, "Oh man, if I could just do that." Mm -hmm. And then you try. That's kind of like early on. Even sometimes you you might imitate them or whatever. And then, but your DNA, you you come out in that. So it's all. It's always going to have your stamp on it. And then you're going to be original. Um, I think just one don't don't ever think that you can't do something because you might be here getting the camera view you might be here you know and where you want to or the people you admire are here but it's just work in between there and there if you if you've got the talent to, to start you know and the desire i think the desire is even more important than the talent mm -hmm. you know because you'll get better and you just have to keep doing it and you have to keep failing at it and just keep going 
you know. I can't listen to the first season of Search for Ghosts or Left in Nashville. Season two of Left in Nashville, I really like. Season two of Search for Ghosts, I like. I like so far the L.S. Smith one. I like the trailer for Seven Stories. But those other two, I can't really listen, especially Left in Nashville. is the first thing I ever did. Um, the edits are just too too rough in it. <laughs> well, even something as small as uh, I kind of have a repetitive introduction now. I say the same thing every time, and it even bothered me because we release these out of order sometimes. And I heard one from the beginning where I said something different. And even that was cringeworthy for me. It's not sounding yeah. like the normal episode anymore. Yeah. Once I found the pattern. So yeah, um, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. The, being, uh, being your own worst critic will make you better though, I think. If you don't let it cripple you, mm-hmm. if you don't let it disable you, and you're, I think that's good. If you can manage it, man, it's a tightrope walk, you know. I used to, I could not stand, I, I, I took a voice induction class at Lambeth University. The only thing I ever took at Lambeth, and everybody else was in there, they were like theater majors or something. They were taking it because it was an easy credit. I was in there to learn. I hated the way I sounded. Mm. And now I talk into a microphone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I never thought I'd do that. Same here. And just enunciation, the improvement in my enunciation in the short amount of time has been... <laughs> noteworthy it's uh i still have words that i rush that i didn't realize until the podcast and i still like i need to slow down about still i tend to rush that but i'm like you i didn't want to never thought that i'd be doing uh long-term conversations on a microphone yeah i'm still the country still comes out in me when i'm talking like now but when i monologue and i do you know Mm -hmm. and i'm not really putting on the weatherman voice i'm not really being i'm just i'm thinking about it though oh yeah you know, I'm thinking about everything I say. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite doing the partly cloudy with a chance of rain thing, but I am kind of <laughs> thinking, or, you know, you guys, I'm just trying to, like, put my life in an order that I can tell it. So I'll probably slur a few words, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the, uh, if an astute listener would recognize, since we release them out of order, they might not ever, might never know which ones they are. But if they listen closely, I'd slow it down too much at times because I'm trying to get it right. Yeah. And so there are some episodes where it's like almost like I'm pausing and I need to just speed it up. And then there are others where I speed it up too much. So I yeah. think I've got it down pat now. I can yeah. actually pa- communicate. Pacing is everything, man. Oh, yeah. You know, it really is. Timing is just, that's very important, you know. So what's the biggest takeaway from your story? <sighs> uh, just, um, I don't know, man. Just, just, just do what turns you on, I guess, you know, but you, you know, it, and learn to find um, fun in the work. You know, th- this is fun for me, but then I hate it at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate mixing. I love editing. Actually. I love, for some reason, I, I, I love that. I, I love putting stuff together, but you know, there, in every, no job or no pursuit is all roses, man. You know what I mean? All the time. There's things about, you know, I, I wrote a press release for this, which that was kind of fun, actually. But I wrote a press release for this new Elliot Smith thing. It's the first press release I've ever written. And I was proud of it, you know. But I had to I had to get online and look how to do the inverted pyramid and all that stuff. And, and, and you know, what, how many words to keep it and all that, you know. And that's not necessarily fun. But 
you know, it's, it's not all a, a bed of roses, but if you're willing to do it, man, as long as you get a kick out enough of it, if there's nothing but what you do where you just get a kick out of it, you'll put in some work, you know. I have to ask to follow up on that. When you discovered that you were in the hundreds of thousands of listeners or downloads, um, what was that feeling like? It was, it was cool. I mean, it was validating, you know, uh, I don't, like I said, you know, I don't need that as much as I, I used to, but you know, we were on, you know, crime watch daily came from Hollywood and we did on that season two. And, you know, we filmed an episode for crime watch daily. And, uh, you know, I used to want to be an actor too, when I was like 19 or, you know, whatever, still trying to find my, my way. Uh, you know, and now I'm at the age where, you know, that, that I don't have stars in my eyes anymore, but that was cool. You know, they, they came down and, and the producer binge listened to the podcast on the flight here. And then the drive from Memphis, um, here. And then she pulled me to the side and she was like, Hey, Brandon, you know, I've listened to as much as I couldn't finish the season, but I listened to as much as I could on the way here. Cause man, a lot of times people produce stuff on you and they've never listened to anything. You know, a lot of these people who have authors on, they, they don't crack the book open, you know, it's all just like bullet points, you know? So she tried to listen to it and she was like, you're really good at this. Now, this is a producer in Hollywood. Now you're really good at this. Of course I was like, you know, Southern all shucks, you know, thank you. You know, <laughs> she was like, no, I'm serious. Like you don't understand how good you are, dude. That had nothing to do with it being Hollywood other than it was, that was big time. And somebody said, Hey, I like what you do, mm -hmm. man. I'm still riding off that. I think I can ride another two or three years off that, <laughs> and nobody really knows about it till now. I mean, it's not like I preach that, you know. Hey, guess what? So and so from Crown West Daily said I'm good, you know. I mean, <laughs> but I keep it, you know. Well, I think you should. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, we're still, or at least I am still, riding high from one of our guests mentioning another guest comment or episode that enough so i can't imagine what you must have felt like with the hollywood producer mentioning how much they liked it so. yeah i listened to jeremy tubbs for uh for this and uh of course i know jeremy and uh kind of made me nervous man i like going into things blind <laughs> jeremy jeremy zips man that joker does everything you oh, know yeah. like, grief dude when do you sleep well, if you like the uh smash you mentioned earlier liking the smashing pumpkins uh Katie Cole, one of our early episodes, one of the first five, she's the touring uh, keyboardist and bassist for the Smashing Pumpkins, so you should oh, check cool. hers out. Yes, yes. And we also had Logan Mize, who you might have met Logan if you knew Jonathan, but uh, or knowing Jonathan, but he tells this amazing story of getting rejected five or six times in Nashville, and he's still successful, but he just went back to his home state to be successful. He got tired yeah. of the Nashville scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know you want to check that out because that's yeah. that's that's almost I almost moved to Nashville when I was when I quit my job and I realized I could stretch my money out more here because the cost of living so, mm -hmm. and I don't regret it because everything I do is on online anyway. Really, yeah, think about it. Who cares what your zip code is when you you know? Okay. And left in Nashville doesn't quite have that ring. I mean, I have to move, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to move to like Dixon to still keep that true. <laughs> no, I love that title for sure. <laughs> Well, Brandon, we, uh, I don't know about Lauren, but I was 
engrossed in your story. It's uh, been a fascinating episode, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, man. I hope I, I hope I didn't run too long. I just now saw what time it was. No, it's uh, no, that's what we want. It's great. Okay. Yeah, you can always cut it down, right? Path Stilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by the Path Distilled, all right reserved. <laughs>